Hello, and welcome to the Pregnancy and Postnatal Podcast with me, your host, Tash Cullen. The aim of this podcast is to provide you with information in all aspects of maternity care and bring the experts to you so that you know what is available during your pregnancy and postnatal journey. There are so many experts out there that you may not have even thought about, so my mission is to increase your awareness and maybe help you to access care you hadn't thought about along the way. In this week's episode, I am talking to Preet. Preet is a women's health physiotherapist and founder of Embrace Physiotherapy. Impassioned by her own experiences and inspired by her physiotherapist, Preet is on a mission to ensure women know it is common, not normal, and that help is available. We talk about some really hot topics like diastasis recti and what it is, having sex after birth and what is and isn't normal, how to prevent tearing during birth, whether compression belts or binding after birth is helpful, and a whole load more. So much information for anyone who is pregnant or has had a baby, and I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Pregnancy and Postnatal podcast. This week, I am delighted to have Preet with me, who is a women's health physio at Embrace Physiotherapy, and I will leave Preet to introduce herself. Hi, thanks for having me on board, Tash. Uh, my name is Preet, and as mentioned, I'm a physiotherapist specialising in women's health and the pelvic floor uh, on the East Coast at Embrace Physiotherapy. I guess I'll start with just explaining a little bit about my background and how I kind of got to where I am today. Uh, so I graduated from physio school in about 2008 and as like all good physios or most physios, um, I went off to work in the public system to gain a bit more um, experience um, working through a variety of different areas of physiotherapy about two years into that, uh, my husband got offered a job in Singapore and we decided to pack our bags and make our way over. And during that time in the early years, uh, we decided to have a family. And I suppose that's where my journey started as a women's health physio, as I tried to navigate and make sense of the symptoms I experienced as a first time mum. Just through that exposure to having to work with a women's health physio I felt that perhaps this is something that I'd want to see myself doing given that I benefited so greatly from the expertise and the advice given to me and so I decided to undertake some further postgraduate uh, training in the area so I went back to uni and I, I did uni uh, via distance education but then also flew in for face-to-face -face modules over the space of two years uh, at, with three children under five at that time. <laughs> Sound like a great idea. And um, here you go. I managed to graduate during circuit breaker last year and for good measure decided to start um, Embrace Physiotherapy of my own but just feeling as though women needed to have a have specialised access to often taboo subjects and conditions that we all may face during the lifespan. Wow, sounds like you've had a busy few years. How's it, uh, how's it all been going since post-circuit breaker? <laughs> Look, I think uh, the benefit of um, circuit breaker and not being able to travel is that women are 
finding they have more time for themselves and are prioritizing their health and well-being, particularly in that postnatal period. We're reading and hearing a lot more about the role of physiotherapy in that pregnancy and postpartum recovery and how beneficial it is to improving the long-term outcomes for women. And I think uh, I have definitely greatly benefited from that with women coming in and asking or seeking that specialised advice and care to help them along. So I guess if we go back kind of um, just to the, almost the basics of what is the role of a women's health physiotherapist and, you know, how do you differ from another type of physio? What do you specialise in? What are the main cases that you would see coming to you? Yeah, certainly. All physios would have done a degree, a base degree, then later on through experience, we most have come to the realisation that there's a particular stream of physiotherapy that we prefer. It's a bit like doctors going off and specialising in like endocrinology or gynaecology or, no, or, um, or colorectal. And so physiotherapy has very similar streams depending on where our interests lie. Women's health physios, we're also called pelvic floor physios, continence physios, uh, pelvic health specialists, it's commonly physiotherapists calling themselves women's health physio because they particularly specialise in only um, concerns or problems unique to women through the lifespan, whereas we have the repertoire to also treat children and men should we choose to specialise in that area. But we all go on to do postgraduate education. So we may have started with a course or we may have gone on to go back to uni, which is what I did to get that more in-depth knowledge and understanding. It's such an interesting specialty, I guess. And I guess a lot of mums think that it's more to do with postnatal or from what I kind of hear mums talking about it's more to do with after your baby's born and if you've had a vaginal birth and you need to go and see someone about your pelvic floor so if you were pregnant is it worth someone coming to see you and how do you prep someone for their birth? Absolutely Tash uh, the first thing I want to say here is that uh, you are more than your pelvic floor so often you know when you're seeing a women's health or you hear a woman about a women's health physio you think pelvic floor but at the end of the day it's you know the pelvic floor is part of your body and so when addressing whether it's pelvic health concerns or you know for instance diastasis or neck and back pain we're looking at the whole body at the end of the day with regards to your question about should mums be seen uh, prenatal versus postnatal, I'm a big advocate for being seen whilst you're pregnant. And simply because you, from a pelvic floor standpoint, you need your pelvic floor muscles while you're pregnant. Uh, we know that the pelvic floor has to stretch three times its resting length during a vaginal delivery. So it stands to reason that you go in and seek the guidance of your uh, women's health physio to get a better understanding around that. That also helps us to allow um, to risk profile women uh, in prep for their birth prep, so understanding which mummies are going to be at a greater risk of pelvic floor trauma, such as a third or fourth degree tear. So we are, we are finding that we're getting more research in that space to be able to women by making objective um, taking objective measures and marrying them with clinical decisions that can help prepare mummies 
in the instance of a vaginal delivery or to be able to say, hey, look, I don't think vaginal delivery delivery may work for you how about we consider options such as an episiotomy that may protect you and prevent you from having a more significant third or fourth degree tear how it still allow you to birth vaginally rather than going no you need to go on to have a c-section and truth be told in some instances you know a c-section may be medically necessary and i think we need to empower our women with that knowledge of their pelvic health during pregnancy uh, to be able to make those decisions in conjunction with your um, with your obstetrician slash gynecologist. You know, the other thing to consider about, about seeing a physio, again, from a pelvic floor perspective is that, well, you need your pelvic floor muscles immediately after giving birth. And I think that's when you feel most vulnerable from a pelvic health standpoint, uh, feeling like you have difficulties controlling your bladder function, uh, feeling that discomfort and pain perhaps after a perineal tear and you've had some stitches in situ or even if with regards to mummies who have birthed via c-section and they're complaining of horrendous constipation i mean at the end of the day the pelvic floor is fundamental to both um women's groups there so it's uh, about what we can equip you with prior to going in for that big day and also giving you that opportunity to practice and master those skills to help improve your outcomes. And to be frank, we're only given one pelvic floor, so why not like put our best pelvic floor forward in that space? I often hear from mums, you know, when we're seeing mums postnatal, for example, going through that history taking session, um, I often ask my mums, oh, have you been doing pelvic floor exercises? Yeah, I've been kind of doing Kegels. Is that what, what it's called? It's like trying to stop your wee. I'm like, okay, okay, that's a good starting point. But, you know, it's more than just stopping your wee. And, you know, we need to find the right cues for your brain to identify the right parts of your pelvic floor that are going to give you the most support um, during pregnancy and during your delivery and then in that postnatal period. So I feel like, you know, it's probably counterproductive just to kind of arbitrarily do Kegels without having that assessed and being taught to you based on what you can and can't do. Yeah, because I mean, how many women do you think do pelvic floor or Kegel exercises correctly? Look, the research tells us 50% of women do them incorrectly uh, when verbally instructed and about 25% actually bear down rather than pulling in and up. And it is a in and up. It's a squeeze and lift. It's not just a squeeze when we're talking about doing your pelvic floor contractions or kegels. So I've given you some um, examples of why it'd be a good idea to see a physio during pregnancy um, pertaining to your pelvic floor, but also you know, think about, you know, the back aches and the hip pains and, you know, the pelvic girdle pain, you know, women starting to experience some carpal tunnel during pregnancy. I feel like pregnancy is that wasted opportunity to build up some resilience in the wrists and the upper body because often when you start having to repeatedly pick up your baby off the, ch- off the floor, out of the crib, off the play mat, you know, with that repeated load, loading through the wrist just predisposes us to those those um, repetitive stress injuries in that postnatal period and I feel like you know pregnancy would have been an opportunity to build up some resilience to help mitigate or even uh, prevent that from occurring. How many weeks in your pregnancy would you recommend starting to see someone I mean is it early as, as soon as you pee on a stick or more towards the third trimester? 
That's a really good question, Tash. I would have to say um, if you're experiencing difficulties, things dealt with sooner, remedy sooner. So as soon as you feel like something doesn't feel quite right, that would be a great opportunity to make that phone call and book in to be seen. With regards to more pelvic floor stuff, like you want to know or learn how to do your pelvic floor exercises correctly, for example, uh, the gold standard of assessment is an internal vaginal exam, and that is typically not done until that second trimester starts because we know that first trimester is quite a delicate period of time where the the risk of miscarriage or untoward outcomes is quite high. So we don't want to do anything that may tip that for mummies. That being said, we can ultrasound mummies either using a transperineal approach or a transabdominal approach to give us some information about what your pelvic floor is or isn't doing. But ultimately, and truth be told, I might I might highly encourage my patients uh, to really get that vaginal exam under the belt just so we can feel the muscles, feel the quality of the muscles, feel the quality of the contraction, assess that level of support, see where your pelvic organs are at, you know, what are your hip muscles doing that play into your pelvic health? I think there's just so much more uh, information to be gained from an internal vaginal exam versus a 2D image, but we also appreciate and respect that may not be everyone's cup of tea. So we do have strategies to work around that to give you some advice but just remember that there may be some limitations. And whilst we're on the topic of um, pregnancy and kind of birth prep, what's your take and recommendations on things like perineal massage and epinos? Because it's something that we in our antenatal classes are recommending, but there's I know that there's some research to prove that perineal massage is hugely beneficial in reducing tears, but a lot of people are looking to things like the epino. Do you have a take on that at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, if any of you guys are on my Instagram or would like to follow, um, it's at embrace.physiotherapy therapy.sg and look for the image of the epino. Uh, to be honest, if you've got two hands and you're not under significant discomfort or pain, um, I'd be more recommending the perineal massage. It's easier said than done, like logistically trying to reach over your belly and around to get access to your perineum. It, it is hard. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The research is um, quite strong and recommends that perineal massage done twice a week for 10 minutes has similar uh, outcomes, if not better outcomes than using an epino. So why would you spend money on an epino when you've got something already to go to help you out? And plus the benefit is it's only twice a week. And if you're keen and if your partner is willing to do so, you can train your partner up to help you out uh, in performing that perineal massage. But yeah, we know that the perineal massage is super beneficial from a research standpoint for nullips, so women who are giving birth for the first time. Okay, so I'm now going to ask you the question, which I know is on everyone's mind because I get asked this a lot in our classes, which is, If you do the perineal massage in your pregnancy and then you don't have a vaginal birth, will your vagina be baggy for the rest of your life? (laughs) Wow. Ouch. (laughs) I'd say the answer is no because let's face it, you haven't had either that quick stretch or that sustained stretch on your pelvic floor that's actually going to make you have a loose baggy gaping vagina. Um, That perineal massage alone... (laughs) 
isn't going to leave you with a gaping cavity. But that being said, if you choose not to or forget to do your pelvic floor rehab on, on the other side of things, regardless of your mode of delivery, you may um, have that. But I've actually, you know what, no one's ever asked me. That's really interesting. But I think from a physiological, if I rationalize that from a physiological standpoint, um, you doing that massage, remember you're aiming for that 10 cm um, dilation to allow for the baby to come through. If you think about it, after having done your massage, does your does your vagina sit 10 cm open? The answer is no, because we've got lots of other structures <laughs> helping out to give that patency to your vagina, otherwise your baby might be falling out before you, you labour, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a very good point. I know I only ask because I do get asked this quite a lot, actually. Um, and also because one of our women was actually told this by her gynae. Her gynae right. said, don't do perineal massage because your vagina will be baggy for the rest of your life. <laughs> Must be some pretty aggressive perineal massage happening there. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, that's to reassure all of those women who were wondering the same thing. <laughs> look, I think you look, you know, it's more than just that stretching on that perineal tissue and those perineal muscles that, you know, it's uh, you know, that hormonal influences for preparation um for the delivery, whether you end up going vaginally or whether you end up having a C section. I think uh the idea is to give you the best chance you can have at your desired birth outcome. So let's give it all a go uh, with the right knowledge based on where your body is at and what its abilities and capabilities are and then move forward from that. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for asking my random question. Um, Love it. <laughs> so moving on to mums who have given birth now, what are the kind of main things that you see mums coming in for postnatally and how soon should somebody engage a women's health physio? When would be the ideal first check-in? Uh, yeah, I think to answer your first question, it's diastasis. Everyone is very concerned about their diastasis and I'm going to sound really weird here but you know you are more than your diastasis as well uh, we look at the whole body so a great time to check in with your women's health physio postnatal would be um, when you start to feel things don't feel quite right and one may ask well how do I know when things don't feel right well I think you're in a great position if you have worked with a physio uh, during your pregnancy that can help upskill your knowledge on you know what to expect and what not to expect but I think ultimately when things don't feel right, things just don't feel right. And so regardless of whether you're one week postnatal or whether you're six weeks postnatal, that time's a great time to just go in and get some context and reassurance uh, around what you may or may not be experiencing. Typically, we all recommend um, patients to see their physio all things being well, uh, from after that time, you've had your six-week checkup with your obstetrician and gynecologist. So with regards to doing pelvic floor exams, uh, we won't do them until you stop bleeding in most instances. There are some cases where you can get away from it, but we just want to, we don't want to introduce an infection um, whilst that cervix is closing up. So we give it that six-week window. Uh, should you present before that six weeks, uh, we can do an external pelvic floor exam and we can also offer the real-time ultrasound option as well to get a bit of context around what's happening. And I know that we are more than our pelvic floor and our diastasis. And I know we're focusing a lot on that, um, only because this is where I get loads of our questions. I am definitely going to be moving on to diastasis. But just one more thing on the pelvic floor. Yeah. 
In terms of vaginal birth versus C-section, when you see mum's postnatally, is there a difference? Because I often get told that people want to have an elective C-section because they think that it's going to have more a less impact on their pelvic floor. Is that correct? What do you find? Look, the answer is a C-section will in fact have less effect on your pelvic floor compared to a vaginal delivery in those early um, postnatal window. But the research tells us that by the time we hit 50 years of age, the rates for urinary incontinence in both mums who deliver vaginally and uh, via C-section are actually the same. It would take eight to nine C-sections to prevent one case of urinary incontinence. And I'm really surprised someone actually asked this question and went on to research it. Um, But the strongest risk factor, for example, again, I'm using urinary incontinence because that's where the research is, uh, the strongest risk factor for postpartum urinary incontinence was in women who were leaking during their pregnancy, regardless of mode of delivery. Uh, So just take into consideration that, hey, whether it's vaginal birth or a C-section birth, by the time we're 50, so ageing and wear and tear, um, that day-to-day wear and tear, we all end up having, um, being subjected to the same outcomes. And we also know that um, cesarean delivery is also uh, not associated with significant reductions in long-term pelvic floor morbidity compared to spontaneous vaginal deliveries. So back to the original point, yeah, in the short term, uh, you have less pelvic floor, more likely to have less pelvic floor issues, but that doesn't mean you are immune because at the end of the day, um, you may be suffering from other risk factors that might dictate your pelvic floor outcomes. And that's Um, what we refer to as pelvic floor dysfunction risk factors. So, you know, we're all pregnant regardless of the way we deliver. Um, And we know that the uh, pregnancy will weaken your pelvic floor support by 25%. Uh, We know in women who are hypermobile, so the the mummies who are gymnasts or ballerinas in their earlier days, it would indicate that your support's more flexible and less likely to be stiff. Um, we look at the genetic factor as well. So if your mum or your grandma suffered from incontinence or prolapse, you're at a greater risk of changes to your pelvic floor health. Um, if you have a history of chronic constipation and straining, you're a bit more on the heavier side, so BMI over 25. I know BMI has its faults, but just to keep the conversation generic for now. And um, the other thing to we look out for is women who have been diagnosed with a chronic respiratory illness where they've been excessively coughing over a period of years, not just the one-off cough, cold or flu. It's more like you've been diagnosed with bronchiectasis or asthma and that downward pressure on your pelvic floor over the years has caused that weakness. So, for example, you could be that mum that has that has been diagnosed with asthma and then you've gone on to have a baby and it might have been via a C-section, but it's actually the coughing that's perhaps contributing to your pelvic floor changes more significantly than, um, you know, the pregnancy or the potential if you had had a vaginal delivery. That's really interesting. So, I mean, yeah, essentially everyone who has had a baby needs to be checked postnatally because there are a huge amount of factors that can impact your pelvic floor and your whole well-being, I guess, as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think, yes, 
it's like like return to sex is a lot easier for C-section mummies, for example, uh, in that postnatal period because they may or may not be a wound that's impacting your comfort. But then um, if you're a lactating mum, we look at the estrogen factor, you know, and how estrogen is really important for our vulvovaginal tissue health and that can make our tissues um, feel a bit dry, um, not as lubricating. Uh, often mummies complain of dry vagina. And also with that reduction in estrogen, we're thinking that it makes our support a little bit more stretchy as well. So that's regardless of how you deliver. And that's a really good point, actually, about um, we often teach, um, and I'm sure you'll back this up in the sense that, you know, moving forward into your postnatal life, that things like sex should not be painful and it's not normal for you to be struggling with things like your stitches a couple months after birth. So if you were having someone, with, is that something that you would see in your clinic in terms of people presenting with painful intercourse? Absolutely. It's a common complaint and we see it uh, in Caesar mums as well as vaginal delivery mums. So again, you know, you've got that hormonal impact. So in those mummies, you know, we may give the advice of, you know, using lots of good quality lubricant, none of this KY jelly, please don't use that. Um, I don't get in trouble for saying that. Put some good stuff in there uh, to replace or um, <laughs> that loss of lubrication, but definitely, you know, um, Know, using good quality copious amounts of lubricant for comfort may be an option depending on what the situation is for that particular patient sometimes we'll send patients up to doc back to their gynae and go hey is it possible for this mummy to undergo um, a course of vaginal estrogen so that's a cream synthetic cream based estrogen that can be applied locally on the vulva vaginal tissues to help rehydrate for a better word we're also then thinking about you know, are our mummies um, and partners rushing into things? You know, are we sufficiently aroused enough before we proceed to the intercourse part? You know, at the end of the day, you know, there needs to be a desire and you might feed off the desire of your partner or you have some intrinsic desire and then that leads to arousal. We want to make sure that we're sufficiently aroused because at least having on a scale of zero to 10, if we're aroused at least five out of 10, that will allow for your natural vaginal lubrication to flow, but also allow for your perineal massage. So perineal muscles and pelvic floor muscles to relax sufficiently to be able to accommodate penetration. So it's, you know, we've moved on from talking about the hormonal mediated factors that may contribute to discomfort in postpartum um, return to sexual intercourse but we're also thinking about you know our ideas around what sex should be like as well and often we we speak and hear about how painful sex can be and we know just thinking about pain can also contribute or heighten pain as well so you know thinking about altering your mindset around that potentially and giving your body a chance to prove itself to actually kind of go actually that wasn't so bad and then we think about you know the mummies who have had that perineal trauma and they've had their stitches you know that wound healing takes a minimum of six weeks. It's not that magic six-week window where it all looks healed from the outside, but in fact we know that that physiological process is still very much happening beneath the surface that needs at least that, you know, up to 12 weeks in some women. And for some women it might be sooner. Everyone's so unique in how they respond, but just appreciating that 
that, you know, in certain positions, your stitches and that scar tissue may not appreciate um, that pressure and uh, friction. And so, you know, give me advice about different positions um, should you want to be active in that sense. And I think the other important fact that I might just add here is that I don't think a lot of us spend enough time in outer course and, you know, doing all the touchy-feely stuff um, that allows our bodies to warm up and relax to be able to then go on to penetration as well. Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of mums, you know, they're talking honestly postnatally and they look back on their sort of first intercourse after birth. A lot of them will say that they almost felt a bit pressurised into it and they kind of felt bad that the other halves hadn't had intercourse. And so they all kind of rushed into it and then really didn't enjoy it. And a lot of that makes sense, I guess. It would have been the mentality of actually, I don't really want to do this. I'm worried about my stitch is going to be painful and probably didn't have much of the outer course anyway. So yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And we talked earlier about diastasis. So I I know a lot of people, this is definitely something which when I had my kids, I had no idea about, and it's become a big thing recently and which is great because there's so much more awareness of it. But what is diastasis for those who don't know? And is there anything you can do to prevent it or even postnatally to fix it? Yeah, sure. Uh, So diastasis is a normal physiological response to growing your baby what it basically involves or refers to is um, your six-pack muscles so the rectus abdominis muscle um, which lie that they're two muscle bellies they're two long straps of muscle that are interconnected by I suppose cling wrap is probably the easiest way to think about it and that stretches throughout the course of your pregnancy the other way I like to explain plane it is like you've got a bridge that has an expansion plate and so during hot days that expansion plate might you know give a little bit more um movement uh to allow accommodate for that expansion so it's like an expansion plate but for your belly to accommodate the growth of your fetus what's an abnormal diastasis or abdominal separation, uh, something more than three CMs or three fingers uh, from that six to eight weeks postnatal. With regards to preventing it, I think something that's something so physiologically normal to occur to allow uh, the growth of your baby, I don't think we should be focusing on preventing it. What we can do is actually focus on what we can do to perhaps making it worse than it needs to be. I've actually got a blog on my website that goes through, you know, what you can do to help heal a diastasis. Uh, And these principles are also very much relevant for mummies during pregnancy. And I'll just run through it with you. First and foremost is, you know, make sure you're not constipated and straining. We know that pressure is a risk factor for pregnancy, I'm sorry, for diastasis. And we know that as baby grows and occupies space, there's an increased pressure in your abdominal cavity. So what can we do to minimize that pressure in the system? And what you can do is just if you find yourself being constipated and you're straining, you're putting undue pressure on an already weakened linear alba, that connective tissue or cling wrap is called the linear alba, uh, you can learn how to poo and also think about what you can do to soften your stools to help um, minimise the need to have to strain. 
Secondly, I would say learning how to engage your inner core. And when I talk about the inner core, I, I refer to your um, abdominal wall muscles, particularly the transverse abdominus muscle uh, and the little back stabilizers on the back near the spine, along with your diaphragm and your pelvic floor muscles. So just understanding the right cues and also uh you know, the right technique to help engage and use your muscles um, optimally to help reduce any any exacerbation of an already uh, stretched system, which, again, might I re-emphasize is a normal physiological response. Thirdly, posture is also quite important and we can all appreciate how much our posture changes during pregnancy and just thinking about, you know, throughout the day, I don't expect you to stand up like a regimental soldier, but just thinking about lengthening through your spine, thinking about having your ribs over your hips just to um, allow your inner core muscles to be in a position that helps them do their job the best. And then uh, fourthly, I would say thinking about your breathing, how you can use your breath to minimize that pressure in your system. So I, I often talk about blow before you go. So in preparation for any downward pressure on, on your pelvic floor and also increased pressure in your abdominal cavity, what can we do to relieve some of the pressure? Think about using your breath as a pressure valve to help relieve some of that. So in anticipation of, you know, lifting an older child or, you know, lifting a stroller or a car seat you might be in the gym doing a weights workout you might be moving house I often hear about mummies moving house yeah, uh, they do. <laughs> um, they're like oh not enough space uh, time to move great timing <laughs> just thinking about exhaling with that exertion to minimize that pressure in the system and then also thinking about how you can engage your pelvic floor at the same time to provide a bit of stiffness and support through there during those more challenging tasks so that's the um i suppose what i would say is the generic advice i give mums i do not support the notion of preventing your dr because this is the way you know women are built to be able to go through pregnancy that's your body's mechanism to help um, manage pressure the other way I can help maybe hit the message home is thinking about you know if your abdominal cavity is a box and you know at the bottom of the box is your pelvic floor you're thinking well I'd much rather have that pressure go through my diastasis than go to my pelvic floor that might predispose me to prolapse or incontinence for instance um so i think it's god's way not that i'm a religious person um <laughs> the universe's way of helping us protect you know our pelvic organs yeah i'd never thought of it that way actually that's a really nice way to to think that actually yeah it's making space for your growing baby and in terms of uh, here a lot of people get these support systems you know, the, the, not the racks, the support belts postnatally to kind of help everything hold in. Are yeah. they useful? Because in the UK, we never used to give these to C-section mummies, but postnatally here, I find that a lot of our mums get these support racks. Um, and not just even the, the ones from the hospital, the belts, but even the JAMU wraps. And I know that they're totally two different things, but mm. is there anything to say that, you know, that they're helpful or are they good to have? Look, if you look, 
I wrote a blog on this as well. Um, if you look at the research, I actually found it quite challenging to find research. Mind you, I did the literature review two years ago, so it probably needs an update. Um, I looked at the research or the research basis or foundation of why we would do binding in the postnatal period. And I was really looking at, you know, why we do yamu yamu. I'll be honest, I did yamu yamu after all three children. That massage was amazing when my baby didn't need to be fed. <laughs> um, but also um, I did do the wrapping, but I also gave my attendants um, some really specific advice, which I've also listed on the blog. With, you know, back to the research piece, binding or using those abdominal binders um, post-C-section recovery can help with pain and movement. So just having that extra support over your wound, trying to do your everyday tasks is quite beneficial. And the research has been done on um, post gastro patients who have had an abdominal incision so abdominal laparotomies and they're looking at how can they mobilize these patients quicker after their surgery because there's a high risk of pulmonary complications post-operation and they felt that these were an excellent um, resource to use to enable people to get up and moving sooner rather than later so I can see why that's translated across to the C-section population in order for mummies to get up and move. We know that motion is lotion, movement is very beneficial and crucial to well-being and human functioning. But I think what happens is that we're not given the whole story around, look, you know, gradually wean yourself off this. And if you feel like you can't be without it after your six weeks or after your eight weeks, we need to understand why. Is it because, you know, you have ongoing pain that may be a sign of something else um, that needs to be addressed? Or uh, is it a fear, like it's just taking you a bit of time to recover? And are there other strategies we can use rather than using a, a crutch to help you recover and uh, reduce your dependence? I, when it comes to DR and abdominal binders, it's case by case in the way I look at benefit. So in mummies that present with those larger DRs, like, you know, the four and five finger DRs, having some support around the abdominal wall can help women have a better approximation of the abdominal wall so they can use those muscles a bit better. Like I said, posture and that, you know, ribs over hips, you know, after you've had your belly stretched out over the course of nine months, you know, it takes time for those muscles to approximate again. And in the mummies um, that have larger DRs, that takes even longer the binding isn't there as a solution that's not going to heal your DR but it may help you better engage your abdominal wall so that you can do those rehab exercises to help improve tension in your DR and we're moving away from that idea of you know closing the gap but it's more about how we how do we reinforce and encourage our collagen lay down to help stiffen that abdominal wall to give it that support so you can go about your day-to-day activities yeah that makes sense as well that's really um that's really helpful so there's been a lot of information today this has been so so interesting and and really informative as well I'm not really sure I had I realized that there was so much to do with I mean obviously I did and I didn't but there's just so much to know right about pelvic floors and diastasis and I definitely say that it's really important to to get checked over after well, actually, if, in your pregnancy and then definitely postnatally as well. 
And I guess my last question for, for you is, which we ask every guest that we have on the show is, what would be your top tip that you would give a pregnant or new mum? Now, this doesn't have to be physio related. It may be just because of the nature of your job. <laughs> um, but if you could give a pregnant or new mum a top tip, what would you say? Oh, goodness. If I was being my physio self, which was my knee jerk answer and response would be, see a physio during pregnancy for sure but from my you know personal perspective it would be be kind to yourself I think we live in a day and age where we're just bombarded by information and people and expectations and I think yeah just give yourself some time and space um, to nurture yourself and prioritize yourself and your own expectations, which are not influenced by others in your in your sphere. I would 100% agree. That's great advice. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It really has been so useful and informative as well. And um, I will leave your blog post details as well as your website and Instagram in the show notes, as I know that you have got really really informative blog posts on your website so if anyone else wants any other information to do with any other things women's health physio related i'll um send them your way or guys just have a check out of that link thank you so much thank you tash thanks again for listening to the pregnancy and postnatal podcast i hope you found it interesting if you did, please feel free to share it with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes as this helps us to spread the word to more pregnant and postnatal mums. I hope you all have a brilliant weekend.